All right. I am extra excited about our guest today. Welcome back to the Build Podcast. We have Sean Fanning here from OpenView with us. Sean, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. All right. So for folks who aren't as familiar with you, though you are all over the OpenView blog, can you tell folks a bit about your background and your current role at OpenView? Yeah, definitely. So my background is in sell-side merger and acquisition and capital raise advisory, which, yes, uh, guilty. It's just a fancy way to say I was an investment banker without admitting to that. But I also spent some time in a finance and strategy role focused on fundraising with a software company. So all that's to say I spent a lot of time in financial models, building strategic positioning, working with buyers and sellers, thinking about valuation, all of that good stuff. And then, as you know, Ariel, I joined OpenView about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, to support our capital markets efforts, which is really all things inorganic and balance sheet related for our portfolio. So follow-on financings, M&A, IPOs, secondary share sales, partnerships, you name it. And then we also lead our SaaS benchmarking practice. So shameless plug once again on the Build podcast for sasbenchmarks.com. Yes, that is folks' favorite piece of content. So we will take the shameless plug. So I wanted to pick your brain about valuation today. It tends to be a black box to a lot of CEOs who I speak with, but it's something that they all end up having to deal with at some point, whether it be for a fundraise, an exit. You know, it comes up a number of times throughout the life cycle of their business. And, you know, it tends to be on everyone's mind, especially nowadays after, you know, a number of months ago, the whole WeWork debacle, which spun out a number of other conversations about fair valuations. And so at the highest level, how do you think CEOs should process through coming to a fair valuation for their businesses? Yeah, it's a great question and obviously relevant, as you mentioned. I'll try to answer that as high level as I can, but stop me if I get too financy. I think pretty simply, we can be really quantitative about quote unquote fair valuation. We can also be really qualitative and I sort of come out somewhere in between the two. We have to know the numbers, but it's also pretty situational. On the quantitative side, I mean, we can look at cash flow analyses, comparable company transactions, public companies to help sort of triangulate fair value and determine what cash flows are worth or the potential cash flows a business could generate at scale. And I think all of that's great. I love modeling in Excel as much as the next person, but I think the answer is a lot simpler and more qualitative. A fair valuation and what folks have to think about is what's going to make them happy? What's going to help them accomplish their goals? If raising at a high valuation helps shareholders keep more ownership of the company, have good publicity for marketing, recruiting, validation for potential customers, great. If a lower valuation fits better with the risk tolerance of shareholders and raising lower means they don't have to go on an empire-building mission to create a deck of corn, deliver their investors' target returns, I think that's great too. So All that's to say, when setting a fair valuation, founders can optimize for what makes their shareholders, which is oftentimes themselves, the happiest. They're trade-offs, of course, but it becomes much more qualitative. It's not purely quantitative, and there's what is mathematically right, but there's also what's right for any one given company and the shareholders that are around the table. That makes complete sense that there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. You mentioned that some folks are optimizing for lower dilution, so they might want to optimize for a higher valuation in turn. One thing that at least a lot of folks in the VC world are talking about is the oversaturation of capital being placed in software companies and that dynamic driving up the demand for 
the top performing software companies. And that can ultimately drive higher prices for those companies. And while folks want to maximize valuation to an extent in order to maintain as much ownership as they possibly can for existing shareholders, at some point, I have to imagine that that can get a little bit dangerous, putting them at more risk of down rounds or putting them at more risk of just ultimately building too high of expectations for their exit potential. So how do you think through that in combination with some of the factors you were talking about folks optimizing for? Another great question. And of course, really relevant to sort of late stages of a bull market. Folks are more keyed in on valuation and sort of downside slash upside. One of the partners here, Mackie, and I wrote a blog topic sort of related to that, recognizing the oversaturated market, as you say, there's a lot of folks willing to write really big checks at big valuations, but the right valuation, it's not just a number, as I was getting at before. And in every case, who is writing a term sheet, who is writing that valuation also matters. Oftentimes, the highest valuation doesn't come from the best who, the best investor. So the question then often becomes less, what's the right number and more, what is the right number and who's the right partner? So it's hard to weigh those two things. I really urge folks to look to the absolute valuation in an exit, whether they're looking to maximize the impact of their company's mission or maximize value for their shareholders, which could be themselves. They're probably looking to build a large enduring business and raising money is just a step along the way. If they're bringing in a venture partner or outside capital, they're probably looking for more than just money, right? They want expertise, guidance, access to a network. And nobody's making money in venture financing rounds when that billion-dollar valuation gets set. There's a difference between relative valuation in a venture round and when a company gets sold at IPOs or it gets acquired by the Salesforce and the Microsofts of the world. So if you raise at a big valuation and you can IPO and no strategic buyer wants to fork over a billion dollars, a lot of people, investors, option holders, founders are going to lose money. And if you raise too low, you're going to risk losing too much of your ownership and thus being diluted. So... Again, it's just a long way to say whatever the valuation is today, the right one, the right valuation is from the partner that allows your company to get to a larger absolute valuation in a successful eventual exit when everybody goes, makes money and fulfills the mission of the company. So basically, focus on creating a bigger pie versus optimizing your specific slice of it to some extent. Yeah, exactly. A smaller slice of a much larger pie is always better. As you think about that valuation at exit, at the point where it really does matter and make a difference ultimately, there are a ton of inputs along the way that you can tweak and lean into in order to impact that valuation. How do you think about the best places to focus, whether it be growth, whether it be retention, whether it be burn or something else to maximize that ultimate value upon exit? I think a few months ago, if I gave this answer, folks might laugh me out of a room. But now I think it's starting to get more accepted. Whether early stage investors like it or not, everything is valued on cash flow eventually. And the reason we can so easily generalize the, you know, revenue multiples for SaaS companies is because we know that at scale through 100 plus different examples of, of companies that they're going to generate solid growth, high gross margins and high cash flow margins if you strip out all of their investment in growth. So all that's to say, if we look at public SaaS companies, we often hear people say growth rate correlated with revenue. So revenue growth is all that matters. But looking under the hood, we find very few public software companies are supporting their growth with high burn. To put a point on that, 
public SaaS growth rates are rewarded because they're supported by some really strong underlying efficiency metrics that pave a clear road to profitability and, and self-sustainability, the cash flows that I was talking about earlier. So learning from that, and, you know, Ariel, we talk a lot about these sort of key value drivers here at OpenView. There's six metrics I think every company has to key in on to understand value. Really answering the questions, how fast are we growing? How much does it cost to support that growth? How predictable are our customer relationships? So it's things like revenue growth, gross margin, cash burn rate, CAC payback, net dollar retention, and logo retention. And I think these metrics together are more important than any others. If you're growing revenue, you have customers who stick around and come back and buy from you time and time again. You're servicing their revenue at really high gross margin, and you don't have to spend more to acquire them than they're going to pay you over the course of their life. You're probably, as a company, going to be in really great shape. So in some sense, the better all your metrics <laughs> combined, the better off you are from an ultimate valuation perspective at exit. It's definitely a balance, though. There, there's always trade-offs. And on the point of trade-offs, I mean, a number of those inputs that you described are conflicting inputs to valuation in some sense, right? You could spend more to grow faster. But like you said, folks are ultimately looking at the ability for this company to eventually, if not now, generate profits. So how do you think about those trade-offs and between those metrics that you said were the most important, what the right balance of them is? Yeah. So I guess my shameless plug for SaaS benchmarks is no longer shameless because it's going to be my answer here. It's pure benchmarks are the single source of truth for weighing these different inputs to valuation. We talked about the metrics that matter, growth, gross margin, CAC payback, retention. But even if we know the metrics, I think what you're getting at is how do we know what a good range for these metrics are, right? Like the benchmarks report that we publish lets folks find their exact peer benchmark set and and check against it to understand how they're performing in context. Similar size companies, similar customer types, similar software types, you know, how are they performing versus me? And they can use benchmarks like bumpers at a bowling alley to stay in between them. And if they do this, I think operators can be really confident they're performing well and balancing the inputs to valuation appropriately. But I'd also add just at the at the end of the day, it really comes back to shareholders and investors. You know, what type of shareholders is a company trying to attract? And what will those shareholders be comfortable with? Do they want a top quartile growth company at the expense of capital efficiency? So lots of cash burn? Or do they want sort of average growth, but best in class, gross margin, CAC payback, retention, et cetera? Or maybe they want something in between. So some people prefer growth. Some people prefer profit. Some are in the middle. Companies just have to know their landscape of potential investors, know what those investors' bright lines on these key metrics are, and optimize for that. Because if you can't attract shareholders, you're dead in the water. I'd also say that I'm personally really biased towards metrics, and I think we spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time talking about them. But there are a lot of other software software inputs that are pretty important. And Ariel, you and the investment team here think about these things a lot, right? It's management team quality, market size, competition, defensible competitive advantage. You, you know, if you run a $50 million company growing 100% year over year in a $100 million market, you're going to hit your maximum revenue pretty fast. So there's some of these softer things that also factor in. It's good to know we're not doing all that work for nothing. <laughs> One thing I wanted to pick your brain on that's been a hot topic here at OpenView is just the different business models emerging amongst software companies and how that impacts ultimate valuation, not only at the stage where we're investing, call it a Series A, a Series B, but actually later on you know, at exit, which is ultimately what we're all trying to mimic. And so as you think about transactional or marketplace business models, 
more usage-based business models, open source business models, freemium business models. Does any of this change the way that companies should think about coming to fair valuations for their businesses? It should. I think over the past couple of years, we've seen that it hasn't, especially as investors have looked at businesses. They've sort of used rules of thumb, generalized, and we've seen some pretty downside scenarios. For me, what's unique about each model is really just the level of predictability in the incremental margin on each customer transaction. So each of those business models, transactional, marketplace, usage, the others you mentioned, they're just ways for getting customers to pay you and building a customer relationship, delivering products and value to them. But in some of these models, it's we can't avoid the fact that it's just less predictable how often customers will come and pay us, how much they'll pay us, how much we'll have to pay to find them and sustain the relationship with them. And then, of course, we have to deliver the product to those customers. And if it isn't pure play subscription software, oftentimes it means that these companies are going to have lower gross margins. They're going to have to spend more on sales and marketing to maintain customer relationships, invest more in product. And at scale, they're probably going to generate lower cash flows. And you know, like I said... Everything is valued on cash flow eventually, whether we like to admit it or not. We really just have to be aware in each of those models how profitable a business can be on each incremental customer transaction as an input to valuation, especially you know, thinking about the end state of a business, what that can really look like. And so combining that feedback, you know, where you think these businesses ultimately trade at exit and what you were talking about earlier, where founders really are controlling their own destiny at the end of the day when they pick a partner and they pick an ultimate valuation with that partner, what would you suggest they do? Is there a conversation you'd suggest they have? Is there a thought process you'd suggest they have? You know, should they be checking public comps or something else? Like how should they incorporate this difference by business model into this valuation discussion. Yeah, I think the axiom short-term pain, long-term gain really holds true here, right? It's tempting if you get a bunch of venture investors who want to write you a big check at a big valuation to take their money and go for it. But just gut check, is this the right thing? Is this really what I want? Everybody wants to be the next XYZ, but there's a lot of great outcomes that we don't hear about. And those happen far more often than being the next Salesforce. So just sort of Being honest with themselves, understanding what they want, I think is going to go a long way. And sometimes taking the lower valuation and having a much more successful exit because you don't have investors telling you to go for it and you go broke. One more question for you, Sean, as it relates to these different types of business models. We're seeing a lot of tech-enabled services pop up, whether it be for accounting or staffing or other traditional industries being disrupted by taking what used to be manual and adding technology to make it more efficient and more effective. So as you think about some of these businesses, in your mind, should they be considered software companies or are all businesses of the future just using technology to become more efficient and more effective? And therefore, they should just be thought of as sort of the Gen 2 of the incumbent businesses that they're disrupting. I know you've been seeing a lot more businesses like this. You know, I think simply they're not software companies. They have to be thought of differently, but we can still apply some of those rules of thumb around predictability of customer relationships, growth. Again, it all comes back to cash flow. But if there's truly differentiated technology, there can be something special there and they can probably do all the things and look like a software company at scale. It's just too soon to tell. So we have to be a little bit more conservative, go a lot deeper in evaluation to understand what could be. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom. And if everyone didn't pick it up already, definitely check out Sean's Benchmarks Report. It is awesome and super informative. So thanks, Sean. Thanks, Ariel. 